Hey, loyal input-output listeners, it's Brian. I'm sorry there's been quite a delay between episodes 8 and 9. Part of that was technical, part of that was just life getting in the way, and part of it was actually by design. We could use a little break from uh, the weekly grind for a little bit there because Vince is getting ready to get married. And so this break allows us to now have episodes seamlessly through Vince's uh, wedding and um, honeymoon and we'll be on schedule again right as soon as this very moment. So enjoy this month or so old look back at James Blake and Radiohead. And here's that theme music. Welcome to Input Output, Episode 9. I am Brian. With me, as always, is Vince. We are proud members of the Multiversity Podcast Network. Check us out at multiversitycomics.com for podcasts, interviews, comic reviews, all sorts of wonderful stuff. We are going to be discussing the new James Blake album in just a minute, but first, I have a little game for Vince to play here. So, Vince, uh, first, uh, without looking, you can't look at the computer right now. Okay. What movie is Justin Timberlake's new single a part of? Oh, Troll. Dream- DreamWorks Trolls. Very good. Very good. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the song is not very good. It's. Uh, can, we, no. can we agree it's a huge disappointment? Yeah, yeah. I mean... want to think that that is going to try to aim to be like Song of the Summer or something, much the same way that um, Pharrell's uh, Despicable Happy mm-hmm. song was. Right. But um, uh, Despicable Me, I mean, <laughs> uh, that was that was not intentional. Is that Freudian slip? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it just, it. I mean, I have a burning hatred for that song. Just because I've I've probably heard it a thousand times, you know. never hear this song a thousand times <laughs> no it's we not, won't it's not gonna make it i mean it's it's not even on that same stratosphere no it's not uh so for our opening discussion slash game tonight i am going to uh see how well you know animated films and their soundtracks what? so uh i'm gonna name two songs and a movie and you're gonna tell me which of them is real and which <laughs> is the song title i made up okay All right, you ready yeah so first up is the movie Surf's Up. came out a couple years ago. Um, is there a song on that soundtrack called Reggae Got Soul? 
<laughs> or nuclear war, like nuclear war, but ukulele, which is real. I can't believe that nuclear war would be real. I'm going to say that's the fake one. It is the fake one. Okay. Reggae Got Soul is a 311 song that is oh, somehow on the soundtrack. Perfect. That's perfect. Isn't it, though? his name the dude jeffrey lebowski jeff bridges. <laughs> jeff bridges yeah he basically plays like jeff lebowski oh really in, in that movie yeah That's... i've never seen it i'm just saying a friend of mine actually worked in that movie he's oh. an editor and worked on well, it then i'm sure it's a fine film i'm sure it's wonderful yeah i've never seen it though all right uh cars 2 <laughs> is the next movie now uh both of these are french song titles and I do not speak the, the language, so forgive my pronunciation out there, French listeners. Uh, Mon car fait vroom, which uh, translates to my heart goes vroom. Or pomper la pauses, which translates to pump your brakes. I'm, I'm going to say it's the heart one. Is the fake one? It's the real one. The heart one is the real one. Okay. Yeah. My heart goes vroom in French. <laughs> Right. J'ai parcouru le monde, cherché l'amour profond. Ma vie s'allume, et mon cœur fait vroom vroom vroom. Ce soir, je you're, you're good at this. All right, Hotel Transylvania Two. Jesus. Okay, is it Vampire Honeymoon or I'm in love with a monster? I'm in love with a monster is the real one. Correct. Three for three. <laughs> wow. Are mine that I, are mine that I, bad or are you just guessing well? Have I mentioned I have an eight year old in the house? That is true. That is true. This is this is gonna get a little bit trickier here. Okay. For the last two, I changed things up a little bit. I'm gonna give you the name of a song from a movie, and you have to tell me which of the two artists that I've listed is the artist that sings the song. Okay. So this is from Happy Feet. Okay. <laughs> it's called Song of the Heart. Uh huh. Is it by Mariah Carey, or is it by Prince? Oh man! Be- before you even said the two names, I wanted to say Prince. Really? That's that's one hundred percent true. I I I swear to God, I thought that. So I'm gonna say Prince, even though having heard the two names, I would probably pick Mariah Carey. But something is telling me Prince. It is indeed Prince. <laughs> wow! Just get up out your seat and wave your flag. Everybody plays a part. 
you're you're about to be able to sweep here. Uh, this is from How to Train Your Dragon Two. The song is called Sticks and Stones. Is it by Miley Cyrus or Yonsi of Sigur Ross? <laughs> How to Train Your Dragon Two. Yes. Well, it's got to be by the Shigeros guy. It is. Yeah, because because that movie is pretty tasteful, actually. Okay, I've never seen it, so I couldn't <laughs> I, I couldn't be uh, sure. Of it. I just thought it was so weird that he did a mo- he did a song for for How to Train a Dragon too. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> five for five. Good job, my friend. Didn't he do the entire um, soundtrack to We Bought a Zoo? That like I believe so. Yeah. That Matt Damon thing. And I'd probably rather watch How to Train Your Dragon <laughs> 2. But yeah. that, that's a whole other story, I suppose. Fair. So... We're going to get into our our main conversation of the evening. We're going to be talking about the new James Blake record, The Color in Anything. So this is your pick. Uh, So why don't you talk to us a little bit about why you picked it, maybe your relationship with Blake's music, and we'll go from there. Sure. Well, um, uh, I I think it's probably, given James Blake's kind of like meteoric rise in recent years, and he's a pretty young guy. Um, I think he's one of the guys that like, like if you think about the albums that were going to make waves this year, um, you know, ones that weren't going to surprise you that you, that you were actively waiting for, you know, uh, that, that if you're, if you're in touch with like pop music or whatever at all, you're thinking about Kanye, you're thinking about Drake, you're thinking about Beyonce. And I've got to say, James Blake is probably right up there. Oddly enough, even though you 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 wouldn't think that, you know, but like there's a lot of hype behind this album, you know. So so when it was announced that um, he was more or less surprised dropping the album at midnight on Friday or whenever it was, um, I felt like like that's that's uh, was a zeitgeist thing that we needed to talk about, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm also a big fan of him in general. Um, I love his self-titled debut album from I think that was 2011. I think 2011. Yeah. To your love. Like a waterfall in slow motion. Come up with no ocean. There's a limit to your love. Your love, your love. Your yeah, love. and then um and then overgrown was his follow-up, which um I didn't spend as much time with. Um I 
honestly don't remember much from it. And I want you to know I took it with me That when things are thrown away Like they are daily Time passes and they're Never, nevertheless, that that first album made such an impression on me um, that I'm I'm looking forward to whatever he does. You know, wherever he takes his music, he's he's got a really um, modern style, I think, and modern sensibilities, but housed in a person that you wouldn't necessarily think of that way. So, like his persona, you know, and it bleeds through into his music, you know, but the style itself kind of contrasts with that a little bit so I, I, I like that about him um, and also he's going to be playing at Eau Claire this summer of he so, is. Yep, so I'll be seeing him and uh, and I, I'm, I'm excited for that and I know he's buds with Justin Vernon and and I like what Justin Vernon does so so you know everything sets up for me to really enjoy what James Blake does how do you feel about him um it's how did you? How did you feel about? Yeah, it? Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to to remove my opinion about this album from what I'm going to say. Um, it's interesting that you said you didn't remember much from his last record. Like it, nothing really, a couple years later, stands out in your mind. Mm-hmm. And that's how I've always felt about him. That I could have listened to his album at noon today, and by one o'clock, I have no memory of it. <laughs> like it's pleasant in the moment, but there's nothing about it that sticks with me. And it's one of those things where I remember in in 2011, 2012, whenever it was that that first record dropped, that like four or five days in a row I listened to the album at work, and I kept thinking like, wow, I must have been really busy yesterday when I was listening to that James Blake record because I don't remember anything about it. And then I would go back and listen to it and be like, oh no, it's just there's nothing there. There's just it, it's it's fine. It's just not. I I didn't find I didn't feel like there was anything necessarily in it that I like. There are certain records that I will walk away and think about for the hours and days and weeks and years after hearing them. And none of Blake's stuff has ever stuck with me more than 30 seconds after stopping listening to it. Mm. Um, So what did you think of this album? Well, I think, um, first of all, I I totally get what the feeling that you're talking about. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I can easily see how it applies to Blake because, um, I think something you could definitely say about him is that um, all of his stuff sounds very similar mm-hmm. intentionally, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, he is definitely playing in this, like, muted, very moody, very minimalistic, um, as far as musicianship is concerned. And it's pretty much that way almost all the time. You know, I would mm-hmm. say, I would say, 80% of his songs follow the same sort of um, musical idea, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely get that. And I'll say that that I think The Color in Anything, I think I already like it more than I like Overgrown, but I think that that title <laughs> could definitely apply more to The Color in Anything than it did for Overgrown because this album is 
extremely long. <laughs> it is. And that's to its detriment, I think. It is. Because, yeah. Um, like, like I said, I loved his debut. His debut was 11 tracks long, 38 minutes long exactly. And I can... I can easily identify like most of those songs even today. And I haven't listened to that album in a while um, because I think they were fresh. They were new. He had a lot of different ideas on it. I think on this new album, he's got a lot of ideas. There, there are some different sounding songs. I really got into the first, I want to say 10 or 11 or 12 songs on the album, but I can't, I couldn't tell you anything about the back half of the album, really, mm-hmm. because I've li- I've listened to this thing maybe ten times now. I've, I've I've I know the front half of that album just fine, and I just can't. I haven't, you know, that took a little bit to connect with, you know, mm-hmm. and I haven't connected with the rest of it yet, and I think that's a problem. I mean, that's not just James Blake's fault. That's a problem with long albums in general. Like I think you and I have talked about this before. Editing yourself, like making a tight album that's between 10 and 12 tracks is optimal, I think. Absolutely. Because because at a certain point, it's just human nature that you're going to have a pile of 17, 20 songs, whatever. You're going to prefer like 10 of them, mm-hmm. you know, and the other ones are going to get tossed aside. And you're going to, whether it's fair to the artist or not, and and you know it's totally up to them to make their art the way they want to as a listener that's just the way i'm going to like like <laughs> call it attention deficit or something but i've got time for like 10 to 12 strong tracks and and i almost always feel like these really long albums could have used an editor well like you know i'm going to come back to my opinion about this in a second but i feel like the albums that work best when they're long, like this isn't the white album. There is not a million different styles being represented here. The white album's the exception to like this rule across the board, I think. Well, yeah, but but just using that as an example, like the best long albums to me have songs that are very varied throughout it, uh-huh. so that you have a long slow song and then a short fast one, and you have these different these different moods that can propel you past that that mark. You know, like we talked about the Meadowlands by the Wrens a few weeks ago, and that album is just shy of an hour long, I believe. But there's lots of different dynamics on that album. I think if you're going to do an album like this that is very much a, you know, one tone represented over 77 minutes and 17 tracks, you're going to you're going to lose steam at some point. Yeah. I I just think that that's there's no way around that. Um, yeah. I I totally agree. And I think especially because everything on the album is so subdued that unless you're really 100% focusing on it, 
Like I, I listened to this a couple of times at work, and I work behind a desk, you know, and uh, I during the listen, I wasn't making phone calls. I wasn't necessarily interacting with people in my office. I was doing paperwork. I was doing computer work, and I would look up, and four tracks would have gone by. And oh, yet, sure. And yet I really didn't – I didn't recognize – like my ears didn't recognize that four tracks had gone by. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I mean, this is one of those albums where, like, I wasn't able to uh, truly appreciate it either until I just sat and made a concerted effort to listen to it mm-hmm. while doing while doing nothing else. And then you can start to pick. I mean, there you can start to pick some things out and differentiate the songs. And now, if I listen to it while I was doing the dishes, like I did earlier today then I have a reference point for all these different tracks, you know, like, I think, I think it can happen. You know, this is, it's, it's not, I think towards the end it it gets fat, you know, Mm -hmm. but I I do think that up front there's some really nice, subtle, uh, differentiation in the music that I'd like to talk about. Um, you know, the, the more we talk about this, but, but I totally understand what you're saying. I wanted I want to loop back to something you said earlier, where you feel like it's a very modern album. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, there's a lot of um, if you think about Beyonce's album Lemonade mm-hmm. and and all the little bits and pieces that she's pulling from other artists and crediting them, you know, mm-hmm. um, sampling and whatnot. I think I think that's the modern. That's a very modern. Uh, pop idea uh it's a, a rap and hip-hop idea that's been going on for for decades now mm-hmm. um but that's that's bled into pop in recent years and you're seeing the crossover between you know alternative quote-unquote indie music using some of the same techniques uh-huh. right and i feel like this album this album does a lot of that you know there's uh, there's some samples from burial there's some uh, there's some lyrics that are pulled from from various songwriters uh, from the past that he folds into his songs and he credits. There are little uh, samples and um, uh, you know field sounds that he pulls in, mm-hmm. a- and and then you know that's to say nothing about you know the 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 uh, the electronic influence, you know, the synth influence, uh, a more modern synth. You know, some people would say that, that, you know, synth is the eighties, you know, but I think synth is being used in recent years in really interesting ways that sound more modern that don't sound like the eighties, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I I would use 808s and heartbreaks by, uh, Kanye West as kind of the reference point for this, which I think was what, 20, 2008 or 2009 or something like that. Just knock it off. They don't know what we've been through. They don't know about me and you. So I got 
something new to see and you just gonna keep hating me so so i would say ever since then you're seeing these techniques that that sort of he popularized i i i hear those on james blake's album and so that's that's what i mean by like a modern you know it it has these modern musical techniques that if if you listen carefully you can pick you can pick this stuff out when when it's not necessarily apparent like i didn't realize all the sampling that was done until i sat and listened in a pair of headphones mm-hmm. and heard and heard all these different sounds you know does that does that make sense do you you buy what i'm selling yeah kind of i i don't know if i'd necessarily agree that that like to me modern means i'm hearing things i've never heard before Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And, and I don't necessarily hear that on this album. Like, I, I guess, I guess that's just when I think my. I, you're not wrong, and I'm not wrong. It's just we're defining the word differently. Yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily mean that it does, that it wasn't. It hasn't been heard before. In fact, what I'm what I'm kind of alluding to is that there are techniques that very much have been prominent and heard in recent years. You know, mm-hmm. I think he's using them not necessarily in new ways, but he's using them to. Um, enhance the mood, the specific mood that he's going for on this album. Okay. Okay. Uh, the record that this most reminded me of, and if we were going to be doing a regular episode, and spoilers, we're doing a bit of a different episode this week, <laughs> um, I think I would have paired it with an Anthony and the Johnsons record. Oh, yeah. Because his voice, to me, very much reminds me of like those early Anthony records. Sure. Forgive me. Let live me. Set my spirit free. Forgive me. blank on the the famous one the the, Uh, their big one uh something about a bird Um, yeah i'm I'm looking now i'm a bird now or something like that (laughs) it sounds made up i don't think it's now i'm a bird now no it's not it's it's, i'm a bird now um this is riveting radio hold on yeah i I am a bird now yeah okay yeah um and that's an album that i feel like when i first heard it it was very much hyped for me, and this was 2005. So I was I was just out of college. I was sort of in my like most music obsessed time of my life. I was spending, I just gotten a job and spending a lot of money on music. And when I heard that album, I was sufficiently underwhelmed by it. But I kept coming back to it later on, and I've I've grown to really appreciate that album. And I think part of my initial aversion to it was just how I kind of similar similar criticism where a lot of it sounds very similar and it's very downcast and there's not a ton of variety there and I think for that reason it was easy to dismiss and so I'm wondering if Blake's work in general if it's something that I will I will come back to in the future and enjoy more than I than I do right now. And again, it's not that I didn't enjoy this album. There there was a, on Monday morning I I took the day off of work. Uh, it was a personal day, and I went to go see 
Captain America Civil War, which is like the worst movie to pair with this record <laughs> possible. But um, I, when I got up in the morning, I took my headphones to the coffee shop and I just got a cup of coffee and a croissant and sat there and listened to the album. And that was the most enjoyable listen to the album that I did of, of the seven or eight times I listened to it. That was the most enjoyable one because I was, I, as you said, I was just focused on, on the record, but I had finished like two cups of coffee and eaten all of my croissant and had to get going for the movie theater. And there was still like six tracks left. And it was just like, all right, come on. We got it. We got to speed this along a little bit. Yeah. Um, but let's, let's, let's dive into some of the songs that you want to talk about and sort of, I, I'm very interested to hear your specific thoughts on some of these songs. So what's one you want to talk about? Sure. Well, let me start by saying, um, if you, if you want a solution to the, this album is too long thing, mm-hmm. I have one. Okay. And I, but I think like people that are like that, you know, <laughs> want to respect the artist or not that I'm trying to disrespect the artist. I'm just saying like, Listen, if you need to get understand this album and you don't have an hour and a half to spare, mm-hmm. listen to tracks 1 through 11 and stop at 11. You and, could you couldn't cut a Bony Vera track if your life depended on it. <laughs> Me personally? Yeah, you personally, yeah. No, no, I couldn't. I know. <laughs> folding Bon Iver into what James Blake does. Like it's a seamless mix. So if you like what Bon Iver does that, I mean that, that track will be for you, you know, it's, and that, it's that's very nice interesting that you say that because I feel like when I listened to it the first time I wasn't looking at the track listing uh-huh. and I couldn't tell which track Justin Vernon was on. No way. Yeah. I'm serious. Ah, uh, you're nuts. I'm sorry, maybe I am, but I, I feel like that's um, what's the word I'm looking for? There, there's a term for that. It's um, confirmation bias. Mm. That like you knew that he was on it, so you heard a lot of him on it. Maybe it's just you know fellow Wisconsinite. Maybe you know I can hear the, I can hear the uh, the, the Stephen Avery accent <laughs> in in him. No, but but no, but I just I think that is a great. Um, place to end the album i think everything that comes before it is i always like a closing track that's a little different mm-hmm. and i do think that's a little different from from the 10 songs that come before it and i think the 10 songs that come before it perfectly encapsulate the 
the, the, the range of subtle sounds that I'm going to talk about a little bit. And then um, also just the lyrical themes of the album. Like, I don't think you need anything more beyond that. If you really want to hunker down and listen to this album in like a short measure, mm-hmm. I would I would suggest doing it that way. But if you want to get into individual songs, the first one I want to talk about is the third track, Love Me in Whatever Way. Mm-hmm. Because I think that this, like I know you're not as much of a lyrics guy, but I think this song contains some of his most like personal and interesting lyrics um i i mean i could read the whole i could read the whole thing off but i won't but it's just it it one of the themes of this album is that uh james blake has been in these relationships that make him feel conflicted i think he has it seems like he's you know been dumped or something and is and is struggling to move on at times you know or or has lost relationships and you know he feels conflicted about it and um in this this one in particular he's it's it's really it's vulnerability really in this song because to me it's it's that he's reaching out to this person that he loves or whatever that isn't necessarily either either the relationship's over or they're not reciprocating and he's just like okay what do i have to do (laughs) to like keep this alive or make you love me you know or something like that you know Mm -hmm. yeah but but it's done in a really subtle fashion i think and then it, it contains some of his best vocals too like for everything i'm i'm gonna say about like the the piano on this or like the samples that he uses um his vocals are the thing that you're really listening for i think because he plays with that like that sort of bon Iver, uh 808s kanye era auto-tune sort of um muted r&b falsetto style you know Kanye doesn't have a voice at all, you know. But... I, I would rather listen to Kanye sing, actually. Oh my gosh! I feel, I feel like, and that's not that's not a knock on Blake. I think Kanye just has a very unique voice. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. not a knock on Blake at all. I just I, I think that Kanye's voice stands out more. Yeah, I don't. I mean, he's not a technically good singer at all. But but I know what you're saying. Like, like I don't mind listening to somebody who's got personality. Yeah. Um. You know, even if they're not technically impressive. But I think this is one of his strongest showcases in that fashion. And then he does use, he uses like these samples 
it, it almost sounds like a laugh track at times. Mm-hmm. Did you notice yeah, that? Yes, absolutely. And I love that. That like the first time I heard it, I'm like, what is he doing? It's the phone song and the blue I always feel. And the more I listen to it, like the more it's it it gives the song this like nasty edge. Like it's already an incredibly like sad and vulnerable song. And then it's like, I almost feel like it's the world laughing at him <laughs> as he's trying to desperately like cling on to whatever he's got here. You know, mm-hmm. like to me, this song blew this song blew me away. If I were to recommend anyone one song on this album, it would be this song. I don't disagree with that. It's it's one of the one of the stronger songs to me on the album. I actually think that this paired with Timeless, which is the next track make for the strongest one-two punch on the album. And I think it's because Timeless maybe has the most... um, It's one of those tracks with the most drive behind it. Yes. And so I think that, again, we talked about before, longer albums working when there's more diversity in the sound. I think that putting Love Me In Whatever Way right before Timeless really does create a nice juxtaposition. And those you definitely know when one of those songs has ended and the next one begins. I was going to talk about that and Timeless as, as maybe the, the two. If I were to play somebody two tracks from the album and say, here's kind of a representation of what the album's like, I would play those two. Yeah. Yeah, I think Timeless Timeless is particularly interesting because it starts off um, similar to what you would expect from the rest of the album. But then I think of like a minute and a half in or something, these like this, the bass kicks in and the drums kick in. And... Actually, what he said in an interview, and I don't remember where I saw this, but um, it might have been BBC um, or maybe Apple Music, but um, uh, or Beats One Radio. Um, (laughs) 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 I'm 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 trying to get us some money here, Brian. If you had noticed, I'm trying to drop as many of these as I can. No, um, he said that Kanye was supposed to be on this song. Yes, and you can tell. I heard the same thing. Right, you can tell where he would have probably come in, and how, and and you can imagine what that would have been like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's probably at that like one and a half, yep. two minute area. Yep. But I think the song is pretty strong on its own without Kanye. I think it would have been like he probably would have kicked it into the stratosphere if if Kanye would have been on here. But. There, there's a great article. Maybe it was in Stereo Gum. If I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes about Kanye's best guest vocal performances Mm -hmm. and how he really tends to do 
kind of more avant-garde, interesting stuff on other people's tracks in terms yeah. of his delivery. And so I could see that being a really interesting um, combination here. Definitely. My, my favorite Kanye guest vocal is when he was on uh, Katy Perry's E.T. and he said, what's next, alien sex? <laughs> then I'm going to probe you. Oh, Kanye, never change. <laughs> never change. Never change. Um, okay, so t- love me, love me in whatever way. Timeless tracks, tracks three and four. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that I wanted to talk about is uh, my willing heart. Okay, which is wh- track what is nine. That? Track nine. Yeah. Okay, this is another. This is another um, song that's kind of about longing for something. I think. But in this case, it's not necessarily something you've lost. I think it's something that you're pining for, you know? Right, yeah. And the great thing about this track, besides the vocals, like, it's, the, it's, this, it's this, like, sprawling ballad, okay? And, and I think his vocals are, on the track that I mentioned before and now this one, I think those are his two strongest vocals. Um, he really, really knocks this out of the park. And then he's also got Frank Ocean on it. Yeah. Um. And Frank Ocean, like, there's a guy whose al- next album we're waiting for. I don't know if you were a fan of his his debut. I liked it a lot. I, I don't know if I was as over the moon for it as a lot of people were, but I, I did like it a lot. Sure. Sure. Um, but I, I think whenever you get him involved, it's, it's, uh, it's special. And I'm just waiting for what he does next. another track where i think um if you're not a regular fan of james blake i think if you listen to this there are some avenues for uh getting into him at his best here may i make an observation sure three of the four tracks that you highlighted (laughs) have either featured somebody on them or were supposed to feature somebody on them but didn't well that's exactly kind of what i mean by um by that that this is a very modern album. I think collaboration is something that you know, collaboration used to almost be a gimmick. I maybe maybe because I'm so young, I don't really know the historical context of it, you know. Mm-hmm. But like t- to me it, it always used to be like an event when artists collaborated. Like this is uh <laughs> 
Puff Daddy and um, <laughs> whoever from Led Zeppelin. Yeah, uh, Jimmy Page. Yeah, thank you, Jimmy Page. Collaborating. This is know? gonna have to be the second time I drop "Come with Me" into the <laughs> show. By the way, nine episodes, two references to "Come with Me." I know what so, you mean. Yeah, it used to be like an event, and now it's becoming like such an ever-present thing. It's like on these pop albums, there's almost like like either guest vocals or samples or whatever on every track, and it makes for a really layered experience. I mean, if you want the if you want the James Blake solo experience, you've got like tracks one and two or whatever, or I think Frank Ocean's on Radio Silence too. But um, you know, there's plenty of that on here. But I think the, I think some of the best popular music of today is coming out of collaboration between artists. See, um, I don't know if I know what you're saying about the event nature of it, uh-huh. and I feel like that's particularly in the time in which we were growing up when it was a quote rap artist with a quote rock artist. Yeah, it felt like that. But I feel like there's like just thinking about when I was in high school, right? Like there's um, Green Day's Nimrod came out when I was in high school, and like no doubts horns play on that album, but I feel like it was never made a big deal. I only know that because I was the type of nerd who would read the liner notes. And I feel like that there's been a lot of collaboration on. On that sort of level, where you know, um, you know, so and so stops by to do background vocals or something, but it was always very much within the genre in which the artist was known for. Yeah, you know, so it wasn't odd for a pop punk band to have another punk musician come in and do something. But I think what you're talking about is more of this this sort of cross-pollination. And I think part of that has to deal with what we talked about last week a little bit with uh, there being just more critical appreciation for all music at the same time. You know, the, the fact that Pitchfork, you know, named this best new music and also named, uh, what was the other album they just named last week, best new music? Uh, Anoni? No, with something else too. But I, I feel Radiohead. I, I, no, I, I feel like it's just you know there's um. You can have like a metal album, and a pop album both on the playlist for like all the major music journalist sites right now. Yeah. You know, and there's just there there's way more, there's way more appreciation for the variety of music, than there has been maybe in the last, I don't know, 30 or 35 years. I guess it's just, it, and I think that, that because of that appreciation, you're able to see Justin Vernon on a Kanye song, mm-hmm. or you're able to, to see Frank Ocean on a, a James Blake song, and you're just able to see these, th- or you're able to see Beyonce credit 
Father John Misty and Ezra Koenig and the Yeah Yeah Yeahs on one song. You know, it's just it, it's it's more possible than ever, and maybe the reason we're seeing it more is just because it is more possible than ever. Yeah, and and I personally think that that's making like. I mean, it, it makes an impression on me. Like, Frank Ocean makes an impression on me when he's on a James Blake track, you know? Mm-hmm. And and those songs stand out, you know? And I, I think I think it's no coincidence that those are the ones that I highlight. But I don't think that's, that's a dismissal of James Blake either, you know? I think it's just those make for the most interesting songs right now, I think. See, I, if I, you're I, talking about popular music. Yeah, yeah. I never like making statements that say, like, this is the formula for interesting stuff right now. <laughs> because I just feel like there are so many garbage examples of this, too. Sure. You know, um, accidental racist, etc. Uh, you know, just, <laughs> uh, just two vastly different artists coming together to make garbage. Dear Mr. White Man, I wish you understood what the world is really like when you're living in the hood. Just because my pants are sagging doesn't mean I'm up to no good. You should try to get to know me. I really wish you would. Now my chains are gold, but I'm still misunderstood. I wasn't there when Sherman's march turned the south into firewood. I want you to get paid, but be a slave, I never could. Feel like a newfangled jangle dodging invisible white hoods. So when I see that white cowboy hat, I'm thinking it's not all good. I guess we're both guilty of judging the cover, not the book. I'd love to buy you a beer, conversate and clear the air. But I see that red flag, and I think you wish I wasn't here. If you don't judge my new rag, I won't judge your red flag. I went there. Are you going to drop that? Of course I am. Yeah, this is what I do, man. Boy. Uh, Boy. But you you understand what I'm saying. Like, you know, just. Yeah. um, I guess my my biggest takeaway from the album is just. I guess I, 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 I wish that there was more collaboration here, maybe. Because the, the tracks that we mentioned with with the guest spots or with the more pronounced influence of other people are are yours and my favorite songs on the album. And I think that maybe if the album, and I hate to harp on this again, maybe if the album was shorter, I would appreciate the other songs more because there'd be less of them to appreciate. But I, um, I really wish that his music stuck with me more. Yeah. That's, that's my that's my biggest I, I guess criticism of the album and the, and his music in general it just doesn't like so I I just reviewed for a site the new um, Twin Peaks record and they're like you know a garage band from Chicago sure and I've walked around with those songs in my head all week mm. and I got both albums on the same day and I've listened to them both about the same amount of time.
not just the melodies of the Twin Peaks songs, but the sort of overall theme of the album. There's a track where they mention all the sycophantic cunts whose hands they shook on tour. And like, I shook their hands on tour. And that made me think about me. And like, there was, there were things on the album that really jumped out at me and, and made me take notice. And I feel like this album, almost nothing made me take notice. It was extremely pleasant and nice to listen to, but nothing stuck with me walking away from it. Sure. And maybe it's not supposed to. You know, not all music is meant to be enjoyed and appreciated the same way. Um, you know, but it just it just seems to me like with a little bit of editing and a little bit of um, maybe, you know, more voices mixed into it, this album could have been something really special. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair. And I think we should probably start wrapping up here. But um, I guess my final thought on it would be um, that I, I hear what you're saying and I and I agree with it because I do think it's overlong. Um, I think that particularly the first half of the album is so deeply personal that I'm okay with him not monkeying around with it more than he did, you know? Mm-hmm. It, like it's pretty minimalist aside from like as far as inspiration goes it's him and a piano and then there's you know samples and beats and things uh, maybe some drumming occasionally um but he's clearly like working out some stuff here like and you know me I love my sad bastard music so oh, I I appreciate that too I guess it's just it's hard for me to hear that because everything sounds so similar okay not right. just not just on the record, but through his whole career. Like, there's sure. nothing on this album that's like, oh, this is the tortured James Blake. <laughs> this sounds like every other James Blake song, you know? So it's, <laughs> it's hard to differentiate that, I guess, for me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Well, let's uh, let's talk about... You, you mentioned earlier that uh, we're going to be doing a, a little bit different of an episode this time around. Uh, why is that? Well, Brian let, Salvatore, let's let let's rewind first to, to last week's recording. We had picked a different album, or you had oh. picked a different album. Yeah. To talk about, you want to talk about the Charles Bradley record? Charles Bradley yeah. changes, um, which is an album I have actually very similar thoughts to about this one. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, I because uh, it all because it sounds so similar. That that's part of it. Yeah, and and I think that it's um. That you know, there are some interesting moments on it, and the more time you spend with it, the better it gets, which is true of almost every, you know, every record. That's all. That's almost a, a cop out response because what album doesn't get better, you know, in the fourth or fifth listen? Um, but just you know, in terms of there being nothing, there was no moment on the Charles Bradley record where I felt surprised. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like it was, just, it was, oh, this is very pleasant for what it is, but there's no, there's nothing on the album that sort of shook me. In any way, and that's you know similar to how I feel like this album too.
anyway, but you would you would pick that. Or I guess actually I picked that cuz you would give me like pick a number between 1 and 4. <laughs> yeah. And so I I had picked that. And then um like the next night or something you texted me and said, "Oh, James Blake new album. Can I change to that?" And I said, "Sure." And then like 12 hours later, Radiohead announced their new album was coming out on Sunday. <laughs> And you would text me again. It was like, oh, no, Radiohead. <laughs> and so I said, well, I'll, I'll pick Radiohead for, for my record for this week so we can talk about that, too, because talk about an album, at least for me, that's been eagerly anticipated and, uh, and you know, has, has been a part of the conversation for a long time. Sure, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm uh, Radiohead, A Moon-Shaped Pool is the... Uh, is the name of the record. But when you hear that title, do you think a crescent moon or a full moon? Oh, I think I think of a uh I think of like um remember the the McDonald's mascot that was the moon head and he had like the <laughs> It was it's no? like what? <laughs> no, that... you don't. I I I remember Ronald McDonald. Oh, oh man. I'm going to I'm going to text you something later, but okay. uh <laughs> Maybe seeing him will spark your memory. I think of like the, I think of like not a half moon. I guess it. I guess it is a crescent moon, right? Like, that's what the that's what like the sliver of a moon is. Yeah, right? like a crescent yeah. roll. Yeah. Wow, I sound like an idiot. Um, <laughs> no, you don't. Amb- ambient, folks. <laughs> um, yeah. I, Have you already popped your ambient? Maybe. Oh man, this is a whole new experience. <laughs> I picture that moon because uh, because I think a pool, you know, if it if it was a full moon, first of all, that's just a it's, it's pool. a pool, yeah, yeah. If it was a half moon, that's like a hot. I've been in hot tubs that are like that. <laughs> You're not impressing me, Tom York. You know, <laughs> if it's a crescent moon, now that is a pool I've never been in before. I've seen a bunch of people talk about it just meaning a circle. I'm like, why would they call it, what it a pool? It would be called a pool then, like a, a circular. Yeah. A full moon is the pool. Right. So, but yeah, yeah. I, I picture a crescent moon personally. Good. So, I don't picture a swimming pool though. I picture like a like an like an island with a little, you know, steamy uh watering hole shaped like a moon. I I picture almost like a, definitely not a swimming pool, but like almost like the reflecting pool at the the mall in Washington. Oh uh, yeah, you know, like a body of water that is meant to be viewed, not swam, in, not swam in. There you go. I picture Tom York dancing on the very edge of it. Okay, dancing to a weird like King of Limbs era beat. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I. That's what. Yeah. Well, we, we have overloaded your sev- your senses with a barrage <laughs> of imagery. So pause the podcast. Listen to a moon shaped pool. And we'll be back in just a minute to talk about it. Like we have listening to Radiohead's Moon Shaped Pool, 
their ninth studio release and the topic of tonight's conversation. So um, it was released on Mother's Day as a, uh, a download, and you could pre-order a CD or a vinyl copy of it, but it was released at 2 p.m. Eastern on Mother's Day, and uh, there was a fair amount of buzz going into this because of the two singles that preceded it a week earlier, Burn the Witch and Daydreaming, but this is Radiohead's first record in five years, correct? King of Limbs was 2011? Yeah, that, that sounds right. Um, I'm going to look it up now. But it was uh, you know, pretty widely uh, anticipated as just about all Radiohead albums are. Um, yeah, 2011 was King of Limbs. I know you were quite a fan of King of Limbs, correct? I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's probably my second favorite uh, Radiohead album, actually. It's which just seems insane it's even lunacy. saying it. But I know. I know. I just... I mean... Next to OK Computer, it's the one I would put on most often. Interesting. I don't, I don't know if that. I mean, I don't know if that. I, maybe I just like how like tight and short it is. But five Radiohead albums, I don't think. Um, but anyway, we're not here to talk about the King of Limbs. We're here to talk about a moon-shaped pool. So uh, let's talk sort of first impressions. When you first listened to the album, what did you think? Um, well, I thought it was uh, typically gorgeous. Um, I really, the first thing that stood out to me, we had talked about this before the album ever came out, and I, I said... I wouldn't be surprised if it's just, you know, the King of Limbs part two, mm-hmm. because Tom York seems to really be into the, uh, you know, um, uh, electronic music thing. Uh, he does a lot of like underground DJing and things like that, Yeah, you know, and he's like really steeped in that world these days. I, 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 I think, you know, and, um, and it felt like not just with the King of Limbs, but with In Rainbows, and then uh, into the King of Limbs, and then some of the sort of B side or extra material that they've been releasing, that they were getting further and further away from their sound, mm-hmm. you know, that you would traditionally associate with Radiohead. But 
And of course, I love the King of Limbs, so that didn't bother me at all. But actually listening to a moon-shaped pool, I thought like, no, this sounds like Radiohead again. Like, like from like it's almost like they're going back towards in Rainbows. Um, they, I think they used the London Contemporary Orchestra or something to mm-hmm. do all the strings and stuff on this album, and um, you hear a lot more Johnny Greenwood than than you did on King of Limbs, of course. And um, there's some really interesting drumming. So, so, so I was wrong. They they kind of peeled back and went. You know, there there is electronic sound on this album, but that's uh, used sparingly or more as sort of a background fill and uh and i think what i think upon first listen it just it just sounded like a gorgeous radiohead album you know mm-hmm. yeah I, I wouldn't disagree with any of that i um i didn't think that they would necessarily go more electronic i thought they would go more avant-garde i guess um you know they're a band that i think in a lot of ways you can never really one release doesn't necessarily tip you in the direction the next release is going to go into. You know, yeah. there's there's maybe a little bit of, of of through line through it, but usually it's it tends to be a little bit more. They seem to be a band that, when they gather to write music, whatever they've been listening to personally, kind of comes out in in the records a little bit. And I just thought because of Johnny Greenwood doing all of his film scoring, that there'd be less melody, there'd be more texture and more uh, sort of repetition, things that you would find in both electronic music and in film scoring. And there isn't really that either. This is the most melodic Radiohead album probably since Hail to the Thief, maybe? Yeah. You know, uh, certainly more melodic than The King of Limbs, which a lot of times was more rhythmic than anything else. Uh-huh. You know, a lot of really dense rhythms and a lot of really, um, and there's a lot of songs on King of Limbs that you couldn't strip down to an acoustic guitar or a piano and perform. Whereas I think almost every song on a moonshaped pool could in some way be performed like solo acoustic with Tom York and maybe a guitar player. Sure. And yeah. uh, th- that that's not a value judgment on the songs. That doesn't mean a song is better or worse for that reason. It just goes back to something that the band used to be more accustomed to doing, right? Right. Yeah. Um, is there a song or two that stood out for you initially? Oh yeah. Um, so, actually, the one we'll we'll talk about this one first. The one that stood out to me first was uh, was "Full Stop." Okay. Which is about like halfway through the album or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, track, track five. five or something. And that that song is like a so everything that comes before it is kind of on this same like um very dreamlike um you know uh, melodic gorgeous Radiohead style. And then all of a sudden, full stop comes, and it's this like dark ominous like uh i i don't know how to describe it other than ominous but then like halfway through like it 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 doesn't it 
it's it was it wasn't a pretty song like those other songs were that came before it you know um, burn the witch and uh daydreaming you know mm -hmm. so it was it was it was a it was like a left turn into this really dark place but i found myself like the fir very first time i listened to this album i found myself just like rocking back and forth at this song and like really getting into it i was like dancing in my chair <laughs> this in this like trance i don't know it's it's a really you know, there's like this the second part of the song kicks in and it's just like all right here we go you know and like um i, I don't know <laughs> i don't know how to describe it other than like it was weirdly uh put me in a weird trance I mean, that's a song that gets much better the longer the song goes on. Yeah. Uh, I really, really enjoy the second half of that song as well. Um, this is going to sound like a cop-out answer, but the first song that really struck me was Burn the Witch, which is the, uh -huh. the debut single. But I, I think it might be my favorite Radiohead single since... OK Computer, maybe? Really? Yeah, in terms of the songs oh that were released as singles, you know... Um, uh -huh. Whether it was videos being made for them or, you know, who knows what the fuck a single even is in 2016, <laughs> right? But right. in terms of, you know, the Radiohead songs that got a lot of a lot of airplay or a lot of coverage, to me it's my favorite one I think they've done since then.
couple of reasons. I really, I'm somebody who I've said this on the podcast before. Unless you're the Beatles or Elton John, I don't want you to use an orchestra. But <laughs> but Radiohead bucks that trend because they they don't do it in the typical way. They do it very very differently. And I really like the sound of the strings on that song. And I think well, and to, to be honest, Radiohead is. I mean, they're as close to the Beatles as you're gonna get. As far as like cultural relevance is concerned, these sure, days. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. I'll see that. I'll agree to that. Um, I really like the sound of the of the strings on that. And I like the way the song builds, and I really like the lyrics, specifically the one "This is a low flying panic attack." Uh-huh. I don't know why that line just really stands out to me. Oh, and just just the way, just the way York sings it, it sounds like a classic. Like it was a, it was born to be a Radiohead line, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It actually reminds me of a lo- of something like that line. Sounds like it could have appeared in Karma Police or one of those earlier Radiohead singles. Um, yep. But that song, yeah. like that song, got my hopes incredibly high for the album. When I heard that, I was like, "Oh, this is this is my shit. This is going to be a really really strong album." And then I heard Daydreaming, and I didn't dislike Daydreaming, but it's certainly very different than Burn the Witches, uh-huh. and it um. To me, Daydreaming might be the most King of Limbs-like track on the album. Uh, instrumentally, not, not necessarily vocally. I don't want to say my my uh, excitement for the album diminished, but it certainly made me think, okay, this is going to be an album that's going to have lots of different sounds on it and lots of different um, tones, and I like that. And to me, this album feels the most diverse they've done in quite some time. Yes. Um, like King of Limbs and Kid A and Amnesiac all have very much like a tone and a sound to it and a theme overall to it. And I don't know if this album has that or not. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think part of that, well, I mean, I think I can find some themes, but I think part of it has to do with, I think they're just classic Radiohead themes. And um, part of it has to do with their songs on this album that come from 2012, you know, that come from as like, in the year after they did the King of Limbs, you know, yeah, and the, and then those ended up on here and I mean, like I think it, full it, I think it, full stop is one of those. That's yeah, full stop and Identikit they played on the King of Limbs tour, right? Sure. Um, so and then True Love Waits is almost twenty years old. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, I didn't know it was that old. Wow. I want to say they said they first started messing with it in 95. Oh, wow. That's a gorgeous song, too. Yeah, that was released. The live version was on the I Might Be Wrong live recordings that came out in 2001 or 2002. In obviously until now but it's a new recording this is not an old studio recording they said uh, nigel godrich said that they had tried to record it a number of times but tom was never happy with it oh yeah well sounds great now yeah um there's actually a, a rather large rumor going around that this is radiohead's last album and that the inclusion of true love waits as the last song is is purposeful yeah i kind of thought I kind of thought about that myself, and 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 I'm, you, you want to know? Uh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but is is Tom York okay? Well, he he went th- apparently he and he was never married, but he and his partner of a long time broke up recently. Yeah, so I saw that. I, some I people mean, are I mean saying more like health wise. Oh, why is that? Oh, I, I I mean, no offense, but he looks pretty rough during that uh, daydreaming video. <laughs> If if you've seen like footage of him performing in the last five or six years, I think he looks about that rough all the time. Yeah. yeah, it's it's interesting. I feel like he was so mysterious for a long time, and then he became like weird dad with a bad haircut, and is like <laughs> stuck in that weird dad look for a while now. Uh huh. Like with the ponytail and the greasy long hair and the you know vest he wears there's there's one picture that pitchfork uses every time they have a a story about tom york or radiohead Uh and it's of him like wearing a leather jacket with his hair like slicked back probably into a ponytail although i don't think you can see it okay and he's he's like pointing and he's like doing a weird thing he's doing like the people's eyebrow like (laughs) And it's such an unsettling picture that I get every time Pitchfork tweets it, I get upset because he's like bathed in this pink light too. It's really, really unsettling. But but that has nothing to do with the moonshade pool. <laughs> so. Um. So. Uh. After full stop, what's another song that really stands out to you? Uh. Well, I I really love daydreaming, which is no surprise to hear you compare it to the Cannibalims, um, it's it's probably no surprise that it's one of my favorite tracks, mm-hmm. too, on this thing. Um, and I love the ending, like the last four, 45 seconds to a minute, where um, they do a little back mask. Oh, excuse me. I got the hiccups. Um, they do a little back masking, and... Mm-hmm. and, and uh, Tom repeats this line over and over again, half of my life, but it's backwards. Like they're playing mm-hmm. it backwards. And I've always had this like weird fascination with backmasking in music. 
and uh, so that <laughs> I, I really love how that song ends, and it's it's a pretty heartbreaking song. Um, I think it probably had a lot to do with his separation. Mm-hmm. Um, his separation went into that, I'm sure, and uh, and I, I just find that I, I love those deeply personal songs and. When Radiohead does it, you know, I feel like it's something special because they tend to be a guarded group of dudes. I kind of want to push back against that. I, okay. I, I, I think that a lot of their songs, I would say like half the songs on any of their albums sound like they could be very, very universal and they're very oblique and they're not very to the point. But I think there's a lot of songs on Radiohead albums that because they're Radiohead, people maybe don't take them as being personal. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, they, they think that Radiohead is always talks in these, like, big generalities. But I think if you look at Radiohead records from the past, there are a number of very uh, personal moments on them. Sure. Yeah, I, I'm sure there are. Uh, I just think they do a good job of hiding that or, or getting... You know they they do a good job of um, being so mysterious themselves, and their music sounds so mysterious that that you know it it takes it takes knowing what little we know about them as people to figure out what some of this stuff means to them. You know, right, right. Um, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. Uh, the other song that really stood out to me was uh, Present Tense, the ninth song. Sorry, the set, the song that this album most resembles is um, "Optimistic" from uh, Kid A. Just the the way that the drums and the guitars work together on "Optimistic" reminds me a lot of some of the songs here. And "Optimistic" is maybe my favorite song from that album.
couple of these songs, but present tense in particular reminds me a lot of optimistic. And um, this is the album, I think, certainly much more than King of Limbs. And I would say probably even more than in Rainbows, where there are some, like, there are guitars that sound like guitars. And it's kind of been a while since they've done that. Yeah, right. Um, I don't think I and I don't think that they're necessarily like, you know one of the I think one of the fears with saying something like that is I don't want to make it sound like I want Radiohead to go back and make the bends again I don't but I like that they're incorporating different sounds into what they do and that they're incorporating some more traditional sounds you know the orchestral arrangements on this album are not very processed through a computer or something like that they're very true to the sounds of an orchestra. And I think that this album is very much an album that sounds like like a band playing again. Yeah, yeah. There are obviously moments that don't, and that's I'm fine with that. But I definitely got that got that impression that there's a lot of uh, a lot of the five of them in a room playing together again, mm-hmm. which I really like. Yeah, me too. Me too. I think I think you hear that in the drumming too, especially. Um, yes. Uh, because that's you know a a a pre-recorded drum track or a pre pre-rendered drum track is like a a hallmark of uh, electronic music and was something that you heard on the King of Limbs uh, quite a bit, and then on this album. It's a it's a little more. I mean, there's certainly some sometimes where they use it in the same way that a, a EDM artist would use a drum beat, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a little bit more room for for traditional drumming for a little looser feel, you know. Not not such a strict danceable sound that they're going for, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely yeah. agree with that. Yeah, it's it's refreshing to hear again, even though I'm a huge fan of. Of that other style, too. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's what's nice about this album in a lot of ways is that it's not... I don't I don't feel like they eschewed any of their old... I don't think they got rid of any influences here. Like, it doesn't sound like a band that decided, we're not going to go back to the way we used to do things. They just assimilate all these things around them and put it together in different ways. And I think all the elements of The King of Limbs are still here. All the elements of Kid A are still here. They just mix them up differently and use them a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I did hear, I know that, um, I'm going to blank on his name. I believe it's Clive Decker, but I could be wrong about that. He's a drummer, I want to say for Portishead, and he toured with them after the King of Limbs as a second drummer. So they had two drummers on stage, and I want to say they're coming tour. He's doing that again for them. And so like, definitely on King of Limbs stuff, you need two drummers. There's a lot yeah. going on there. I think there's probably less on this album, but there is a lot of sort of auxiliary percuss- percussion around. And so I know he was playing some maracas and some tambourine and stuff on stage. So I like the fact that they're augmenting their live band with another drummer. I don't think he did anything in the studio, though. I think in the studio, it's still just the five of them. Oh, okay. Uh, but I'd be interested to know if he had anything to do with it. Um Let's talk about True Love Waits for a minute here. Uh, are you familiar with the live version or no? No, I, I'm I'm not. Okay, that was um, their live record came out when I was in college, and my uh, then roommate had it and played it all the time. And the live version is quite nice. 
it's it's gentle and it's really really beautiful. Here it is just as beautiful, but it's a little bit more uh, fucked with, I guess I'll say. Like you know, they they there's a lot more keyboards going nuts and uh, just general Radiohead studio trickery going on. sad song and I think it could totally be the last song on the last Radiohead album that wouldn't necessarily surprise me sure yeah um, but I don't know if this is the type of band that will ever make a big deal of breaking up or not right you know um, they're pretty content to take long breaks between albums I mean this was five years between albums and before that, it was four years between In Rainbows and King of Limbs. And, you know, Johnny Greenwood does his film scores, and Tom York has done two or three solo albums, depending on how you count the Adams for Peace album. And even Phil Selway did a couple of, the drummer did a couple of solo albums as well. So everybody keeps busy. I don't think that it's a band that needs to put something out every year and remind you that they're still around. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there'll ever be a last Radiohead album in the way that there's, you know, a last REM album or a last. Um, I was going to say LCD sound system, but they're reuniting also. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think very few bands actually break up anymore. The money's just too much. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. unfortunately, uh, more fortunately, I don't know. Um, but what, what do you think about True Love Waits? Oh, I, I think it's, I, I think it's, I think it's probably one of the, one of the, one of the best songs that Tom York's ever written. I wow, think, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I really do. Um, it's such a strong end to this album. Um, we, we've established how you love piano endings, so. <laughs> I do, yeah. And it's, a, this is a, there's such evocative imagery in this song. Tr- true Love Waits in Haunted Attics. It, and then, like, okay, if it was, if it was written back in 1995 or whatever, it's, it sounds perfect on this album, you know. Yeah. It kind of it kind of proves that as much change as this band has gone through, you know, that this is still the song that they've ultimately been capable of all their lives, you know. Right. That 
20, you know, 20 to 30 years they've been around or whatever. I mean, um, I would almost love to hear every attempt they made at it. Yeah. You know, oh, to, yeah. To see sure. what the OK Computer version would have sounded like mm-hmm. and what the Kid A version would have sounded like, you know. Mm-hmm. If it would have sounded any different at all, I don't know. Yeah, who knows? I mean, it's a simp- It's a relatively simple song. Um, but yeah, I love it. Is there any song on the album that really doesn't work for you? Mm, not really. I mean, there's there's a couple that don't stand out. Like I, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, Tinker Tailor Soldier Sailor Rich Man Poor Man Beggar Man Thief doesn't. Uh, even if it did, you wouldn't want to say that too many times. No, you exactly. You wouldn't yeah, bring it up. Want, I wouldn't want to mention it. Yeah, it it hasn't stuck with me, you know. Um, um, I guess I can't. I don't really remember what what uh, Glass Eyes sounds like. Yeah, that's. I think that's. Again, I'm in the same boat. I think that one's kind of more of like a ambient passing song, you know, between Full Stop and Identikit. Yeah, and I think, I think. Every Radiohead album is almost like this for me, where there's there's always a handful of songs that I really come to appreciate later, but they just it takes a while, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, They're, they can be an extremely subtle band. Yes. So, um, so we'll see about those, you know. But I think for the most part, for the most part, this album really really works for me, and and I don't know if I like it. I mean, the King of Limbs had to grow on me. I didn't love it right out of the gate and 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 then it became my second favorite, you know. So there's no telling where this is going to end up, you know, yeah. but I'm I'm happy with it right now for sure. Yeah. Um I did want to talk about one more song that I really enjoyed. Sure. Uh Desert Island Disc. Mm-hmm. I really to me that's the most Beatlesque they've ever sounded. So let me go song in particular it sounds like to me but i can't place what that one song is so if between now and when i edit it i figured out i'll drop a clip of that beatles song in here for people to listen to (laughs) but i i really like it and i think that this album you can uh you hear a little bit more of that beatles influence uh in the way like the strings are recorded on burn the witch it sounds very much like the strings on eleanor rigby 
just recorded very close to the instruments without any reverb or any sort of sound of the room, just a very, very dry string sound, which is something the Beatles kind of pioneered on Eleanor Rigby. And uh, you know, everybody's influenced by the Beatles, obviously, but the um, I think Radiohead, like you said, culturally is very close, are the closest we have to the Beatles right now. But I think also the, the desire to just do whatever they want to and hope the fans come along. Yeah. You know, it's rare that a big band does that as much as Radiohead does it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, it seems like we both really enjoyed it. Um, just real quickly, if you had to rank the Radiohead albums, how would you rank them? Besides, oh, like, let's just do top five. Top five? Yeah. Um, so, OK Computer is mm-hmm. number one for me. Um, and then I'm uh, The King of Limbs, mm-hmm. I'll say. And then uh, I'm going to pull up a list just to be sure I don't forget any of them. Um, then probably uh, Kid A, then The Bends, and and then I'll say In Rainbows. I don't know where a Moonshade Pool ranks yet. I mean, it might yeah. make top five, but... Uh, I don't know. I'm happy with that top five that I just mentioned. So yeah, I'm not going to include it in my top five because, again, I just don't know where it's going to sit a year from now. Yeah. But mine would be OK Computer and then Kid A and then Hell to the Thief, mm. In Rainbows, The Bends. I, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, Hail to the Thief is one that never really stuck with me. See, uh, that came out... I want to say like the end of my senior year of college or so, yep. and I really enjoyed it, and then I saw them on that tour, mm. and so there's a couple of songs from that album that really stand out to me still when I think about it. Like Seeing them do it live was, was pretty incredible, and it was a great live show, and I think that album was their first, like, how can I put this, their first post-hype album. Sure. Like Kid A was this huge deal and then Amnesiac like was I think equally hyped and people didn't like it as much. Uh-huh. And so I think that the expectations for Hell to the Thief were just very different. And it, they went back to using guitars again a little bit and uh and I I just I really appreciate that album quite a, quite a bit actually. So yeah. yeah I'll, I'll have to revisit it. My my memory of that album is that it came out my sophomore year of high school mm-hmm. and our creative writing teacher did an exercise with it where we were we were listening to it in class and then we were supposed to uh write and or draw like what what we felt or what came to mind while we were listening to it okay and <laughs> this was based on apparently they apparently um some like kindergarten or elementary school teacher somewhere decided to do this with their kids, you know, in class one time, not with this album, but with other Radiohead songs. Uh-huh. And the kids ended up drawing these like horrific pictures of like, <laughs> of like, pe- like, pe- like people, like really bloody messes or like explicit things, you know? <laughs> so it was like some weird psychological <laughs> thing that was, getting dredged up while the kids were listening to radio. <laughs> I just drew like a picture of me like flying in the clouds or uh, something. <laughs> I mean that album 
has yeah. maybe my favorite. My it's certainly in my top five Radiohead songs. Uh, Sit down, stand up, mm. uh, which is track two on Elkatif, I believe. copy of the leak of it before it was released officially and uh i remember feeling very dangerous about that yeah <laughs> you know like tom york was gonna knock on my door in pittsburgh and kick me in the nuts and take my copy of the album so he's, he still might he still might yeah i wouldn't be as afraid of him now <laughs> he's spry he is spry uh, I, I guess the one last thing i did want to mention was uh i was half expecting the song Spectre to be on this. Oh, the... <laughs> I've already forgotten about that. Yeah, the song they wrote for the Bond movie that wasn't used um, because they're doing a split seven inch with Burn the Witch and Spectre uh-huh. uh, that comes out in a few weeks. And cool. I... was that cool? Yeah, and I, I I thought maybe, especially when I saw that True Love Waits was going to be on the album. Like, oh, okay, so they're going back through some of their unreleased stuff and are going to include it on there but I guess not Daniel Craig. Yeah. Yeah. Who's no longer Bond, apparently. That's the rumor. But uh, we'll see if that comes true or not. I uh, I don't think I've seen a, a Craig Bond movie since since uh, Casino Royale. So no, that's not... a good that's a good one though. Yeah, I've heard there's about half good ones and half bad ones. Yeah. So that's all right. I'll I'll see him eventually. Life is long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so 
because this week we decided to focus on two new releases we were talking we decided that maybe next week we should focus on two not so new releases so vince you have an album you're excited to talk about and it's not a new release so what is what is the record of choice for next week yeah i uh so i've been thinking about this album a lot and and listening to it a lot lately um it's one of like my favorite albums of all time and it was huge for me when i was in college um and it's the 10th anniversary of it <laughs> and uh the band is going on tour and uh they are bringing back a member that hasn't been around for a while and that i've never seen them play with live and that's uh franz nicolay we're and i'm talking about the hold steady and we're going to listen to their 2006 album boys and girls in america And now we crumble in the dust We get wet and we corrode And now we're covered up in rust We drink and we dry up And now we crumble in the dust We get wet and we corrode And now we're covered up in rust She wasn't really cool kisser And she wasn't all that strict of a Christian tour it again and you know hopefully play the whole thing and uh, I believe and they I'll, are right that would be yes i don't know if they've i don't know if they've said that but but yeah i'm i'm really pumped for that interesting okay i haven't listened to that album in a long time oh this is gonna be good i like i like them a lot but i haven't listened to that album in a long time um well if people want to uh follow us on social media we're right now we're pretty much just talking about dc comics <laughs> all day every day uh yeah. people can find me on twitter at brian needs a nap and uh, i'm at vj underscore o-s-t-r-o-w-s-k-i and we'll be back next week to talk about the hold steady so until then uh, stay positive stay positive there we go <laughs>